Hello, everyone, and welcome to I Think, Therefore I Fan, a pop culture and philosophy podcast. On this podcast, we'll explore the most compelling philosophical themes as we find them in all of everyone's favorite fandoms. We are your hosts. I'm Dr. Richard Green. And I'm Dr. Rachel Robison Green. Thanks for joining us. Welcome. So this week we're talking about a great philosophical topic, um, personal identity. All right, and this is something that, that goes back to ancient times with the ship of Theseus example. Um, it's a good, enduring philosophical topic, right? The modern treatments are, um, are yeah, very compelling and not just a rehash of the stuff philosophers have been saying for centuries. Um, and one of the things I like about this issue is it lends itself very well to pop culture, right? The treatments in pop culture of the personal identity issue are just fantastic, right? Especially in the areas of science fiction. So, um, you know, in the most recent episode, I was saying, and I know you didn't agree with this, that I thought that the various treatments of the free will issue in pop culture were always kind of disappointing, right? Um, they, free will doesn't lend itself to, to great pop culture, or when it does, it, it's not the question of free will, it's, you know, someone doesn't have free will and where do you go with that? Or someone does have free will and, and where do you go with it? But they, you know, you don't get like a nice treatment of it in pop culture. This is, this is very different um, with the issue of personal identity. So we have a, a guest this week, Nathan Novus, and um, Nathan's somebody that we've both known for a very long time. And um, recently on his webpage, he put up this resource that, you know, for students and other teachers to use. It's sort of a page of good thought experiments, impersonal identity, um, with lots of um, information on how they appear in pop culture, right? Which is always a great way um, to teach this stuff. So this should be a very fun and lively discussion. So um, before we turn to the interview, um, Tell us a little bit about Nathan Novus. Nathan teaches philosophy at Morehouse College in Atlanta, and he's written a lot about a variety of philosophical issues, especially those in bioethics. Great. Shall we go to the interview? Yeah. Welcome, Nathan. Thanks for joining us. So hey, thank you for having me. Cool. We're, we're talking to you today about per, the issue of personal identity. So I guess I want to start by asking, how do you introduce this issue to your students? Well, personal identity is... Um, one of those perennial philosophical topics that um, is a bit abstract, but it's also personally relevant. And uh, I think the best way, or I don't know about the best way, but a way to introduce personal identity is, of course, to have people think about the fact that, you know, whatever their age is, they used to be five years younger, or they used to be 10 years younger, or, you know, if they are 50, they used to be five. So, um, and Keep- so on and so forth. Keep going, Nathan. You'll get to me eventually here, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. So, um, you know, whatever age you are, most people think, I used to be younger. I used to be five. I used to be three. Um, that was me. So um, the, the, the problem, though, is, um, 
you know, if you pick far enough uh, distances, and even if you pick close distances, there's uh, a fair amount, maybe a lot, of change that's happened to you between then and now. Um, you know, it might be sort of pretty massive physical changes, um, sort of literally massive. You know, maybe I used to weigh 20 pounds and now I'm 200 pounds. Um, so, and, and look rather different. So there's physical changes that happen over time to people. And um, of course there are mental or cognitive or psychological changes. Um, you know, your beliefs change, um, your memories change, your attitudes change. So the problem is basically, how are we the same over time, despite the fact that um, there's so much difference um, over time? So, so that's really kind of the problem. Um, you know, it's identity mm -hmm. of persons. So how do persons re retain the same identity or remain like the same thing or the same being um, over time? And we could ask that really about like anything. You could ask that about a rock. You could ask that about a cup or whatever. But it's especially interesting in thinking about persons since, well, you know, we are persons and we like thinking about ourselves. And, um, you know, persons, unlike rocks, uh, change in various ways physically and cognitively. So, um, you know, you used to be five. You're very different now from when you were five. How is that that you're the same person? So do you teach... You do you teach your students that this uh, this matters, or do they tend to think that it is just an intellectual exercise, or uh, what, what's at stake? Well, I, I, I think that um, um, potentially, I mean, I, I think this is a, I think it matters. Um, it can become relevant, especially in thinking about certain bioethical issues, about sort of end of life issues and beginning of life issues. Um, you know, so, uh, I don't know, suppose somebody goes into a coma or a permanent vegetative state, um, they, they're there for a while and then their body dies. Well, when did they, when did they end? When did their existence end? Um, you know, was it when their mind end, ended because of the coma or the PBS or whatever, or are they really more their body? Um, so that would be a sort of practical issue. And on the other end, uh, when did you begin? Yeah. If you are your mind, that will give you sort of one, uh, answer to sort of when you might have begun. Um, if on the other hand, you are more of your body, um, in essence, that would give you a different answer also. So, um, this is, uh, uh initially it sort of seems highly, highly relevant to say questions about abortion and uh, euthanasia and assisted suicide um right so maybe upon a bit more reflection things it's not as relevant people as people think but it does have some relevance because basically what we're thinking about is like well what are we you know what are we in our essence right um, because again you know if i was somehow five there's something about me and that five-year-old that's like the same thing um and you know it's it's obviously not my fancy clothes it's obviously not living where i live right now because that's changed so what's the part that's been the same over time um or how, how does that all work out so do you find um a lot of your students want to kind of balk at the setup 
And in other words, plenty of my students will say, no, I'm not the same. And, it, you know, so the problem is explaining how you're the same over time with change. But many of them think, no, I'm just different altogether. Well, I, it's um, I think I think some of those reactions um, might result from sort of misunderstanding the question. Like if you ask, like, are you the same now as you were five years ago? Um, you know, the answer in one sense is sort of clearly, 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 no, I'm not the same. Um, you know, I won the lottery. Now I'm a millionaire and uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I'm very different. You know, five years ago, I was penniless and nobody liked me. Now I'm a millionaire and I have lots of friends. Um, I'm not the same person I was. So that would be described as you are um, qualitatively not identical to that person five years ago. I mean, you are different um, in, in your qualities. Um, and that would be true, you know, even if I didn't have this silly example of you winning a million dollars. You know, it'd be like, well, I'm different now because, you know, five years ago, I didn't really like Ethiopian food. Now I do. That's mm -hmm. a change. You know, and of course, other more mundane things like five years ago, this plant wasn't in my yard. Now, now there is. Yeah, um, yeah. So there's all sorts of changes. So if people were to think like, well, I'm not the same person I was a while ago, they're probably thinking about qualitative changes. But... Or, or qualitative identity and pointing out that they are not qualitatively identical. But what we're talking about in this topic is what's called numerical identity, meaning like being the same individual. And we have the problem of what makes things or what makes people numerically identical because of all the qualitative changes. Right. So I think people might be misunderstand things about that. And I think probably if somebody said like, well, you know, I'm not the same person I was five years ago, um, you know, but if you ask them like, well, but, re you know, remember five years ago when that person was so mean to you, they'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah you know, yeah. I'm, I'm still angry. About it. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, that that happened to you, right? Well, okay. yeah, of course it happened. to me, And that's that's what we're getting at. Um, Great. You know, um, so. Um, let's, let's get into some of your yeah, cases. So, and, and, yeah. So if you're, if you're thinking about anything that happened to you in the past, um, you're kind of thinking about these sorts of issues on the other hand. And also if you're thinking about, you know, I hope this great thing happens to me in the future. Um, you're not just thinking about, um, something great happening to somebody, right? You are trying to, you know, you're trying to think about something great happening to you. Um, that, that's a great point that you've made, but a um, couple things. Um, now I'm suddenly very angry about all sorts of things that people did to me in the past, <laughs> and, and I have to refocus. Um, as you should be. As I should be, yeah, there, there's no end to it. Um, yeah. And I'm anticipating about the mean things people are going to do to me in the future. <laughs> Perfect. I, I, I was thinking about you winning the lottery and oh. how that might benefit me. All right. Um, so yeah. So let um, let's start with the brain swap um, cases and the um, the mind swap cases. Can you sort of talk us through the main instances of those, and um, perhaps if if there are examples from pop culture, we can hit on some of those. If not, I'll go into my usual spiel about everything 
popping up once or twice on Gilligan's Island of, of this nature. <laughs> but uh, but right. great, great to avoid that. Yeah, well, so um, one of the interesting and fun things about this topic is um, in thinking about what we are, you sort of have to think about the possibilities and sort of think about like, well, what could happen? And at least in this case, oftentimes when you think about what could happen, um, that can tell us something about like what we are sort of in our essence. Mm -hmm. So um, for quite a few hundred years, at least ever since uh, Locke, um, people have thought about situations where um, it seems like your mind swaps with somebody else's body. So John Locke, a few hundred years ago, had this situation, something like um, there's this prince um, in a medieval town or whatever, and the prince wakes up in the cobbler's body, and the cobbler wakes up in the prince's body. And, um, you know, so it's this, like, mind swap situation. So um, they took this idea and turned it into Freaky Friday and all right. sorts of other films on this sort of theme. And... Um, so with these sorts of situations, after these swaps, assuming such a swap is possible, um, and it's worthwhile to think about, are these swaps indeed possible, and how do you figure that out? But, um, you know, basically, after these swaps, we sort of ask, like, well, where are you? Um, so, you know, like, imagine the prince was, a, was an evil prince and just did something really, really bad and now really deserves to be punished. And then this mind swap happens, and now the, pr the prince is in the cobbler's body, and the innocent cobbler is now in the prince's body. Um, like, who should we punish? Um, or which body should we punish now? Um, so, uh, yeah, so, so these are, this is one sort of thing that people think about and kind of take their in intuitions about uh, where they would go, if their consciousness would go, this or that. And that can lead us to a view about what we are. Okay, and there are examples of this that involve specifically sex and race. Can you say something about that? Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's <clears throat> another sort of twist. Um, uh, well, um, yeah, I mean... I, I, <laughs> You could want you could take this sort of example where you're wondering about, you know, could I wake up in somebody else's body? Could there be this sort of prince and cobbler situation or the Freaky Friday situation? Uh, if you don't know those fabulous movies, it's basically the mom and the daughter switch bodies and uh, wacky hijinks happens after that. Um, there was but, a period know, in the 1980s where there must have been 15 of these all you know, in a 15-month period, right? <laughs> and then the various, there right? Quite, yeah, yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a few versions of this. Yeah. But, um, you know, so you can take this and uh, add a twist to these sorts of swaps. Um, you know, could you switch into the body of somebody else's sex? Um, could that happen? Mm -hmm. um, sort of seems like it. Um, although if, if you deny that, um, I mean, there are complications as there are, as there are sort of always complications, but if you deny that, I guess you might sort of think like, no, I am essentially my sex. Mm -hmm. I could, um, not be 
if there was somebody else of another sex, that wouldn't be me. Um, now, this is sort of complicated by sort of sex, gender, sort of distinctions and so on and mm -hmm. so forth, but mm -hmm. you get the idea. Mm -hmm. And similarly, um, or maybe, and also you could sort of wonder, like, could I um, switch into the body of somebody of another race? Um, the trading places hypothesis, right? The Dan Aykroyd, Eddie Murphy yeah. movie. I'm thinking of yeah. Get Out too. Oh yeah, yeah. right, right. So do you yeah. think those those examples might cleave, right? So it, it might be the case that, um, you know, I, I bring my gender identity with me everywhere I go, regardless of what sort of physical um, body I'm placed into, whereas race might be a physical thing as opposed to an identity thing, such that Dan Aykroyd in Eddie Murphy's body was African-American and Eddie... Um, Murphy was under those circumstances Caucasian, or or do you think that they kind of stand and fall together, right? The, the gender examples and the race examples. Well, um, I guess I'll say that I don't really know, <laughs> but, but my initial reaction um, upon thinking about it for a few seconds is that... <laughs> That's all we ever um, do here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, is that... Um, well, so I'm inclined to think that your personal identity depends upon your mind or your psychology. And of course, as things actually go, um, your mind is going to be impacted by your bodily experience, you know, mm -hmm. and how in particular, like how other people relate to you, right. given your body. And um, so it seems to me that if you're sort of um, bodily impacted mind or to switch to a, a different body of a different sex or race or sex and race. Um, I mean, you would be taking like that, that bodily conditioned mind and putting it into a new body. Um, and uh, uh, I guess the next question would be like, well, what would happen? I mean, would your sort of Obviously, it would be very surprising for a while, and I bet mm -hmm. you'd learn all sorts of new, important things. Um, you know, um, I mean, I'm not sure if, if a man were to, well, you know, either way, it'd be like, oh, I didn't realize that this was like what it was like to sort of be a, be a woman, a man would say, blah, blah, blah. Um, I guess the question, though, like in the long run, um, if you've had a lot of experience in this new body, would you kind of lose your sort of previous um, bodily induced identity, um, you know, and kind of take on a new one? Um, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah it's Wait. interesting. It, it, it's kind of reminding me of um, Putnam's um, 20th thought experiments and all the slow switching cases that came up later, right? So you start with this right. idea that your mental states are, you know, environmentally um individuated and in, you know to some extent and then uh -huh. suddenly you switch environments and then people's intuitions all scatter in different directions right because mm. you are sort of interacting with the world in a very different way and the way you interact with the world going back to your cases you know can, can certainly play a role in in your identity yeah you know not not your numerical but um you know your sense of self and 
those kinds of things. So speaking right. of Eddie Murphy, right, there was this a skit on Saturday Night Live back when he was on where he, um, you know, essentially um, put on um, whiteface and got on a bus to see how white people behaved after all the African-Americans got off the bus. And it was a whole different thing. You know, they started playing Dixieland music and giving each other pieces of cake. And, you know, it was, it was a big party. And, and yeah, through the skit, he kind of becomes more into it, right? And it, it sort of exemplifies, um, you know, first it's just kind of appalling. And then it's like, hey, this is, yeah, you know, I, I could do this, kind of, kind of not. Um, mm -hmm. So, right. Yeah, I guess right. my intuition is, is is similar to Nathan's, like that you would bring in this kind of case, you would bring your background with you in terms of having been responded to in a particular way for your whole, the whole history of your existence. And then, but now you're being responded to differently. So that might just change you. Yeah, what, what, wasn't there a Mel Gibson, I think it was What Women Want or something like that movie where he gets put in a woman's body and then has to yeah. deal with people who are essentially like his character was before the switch, you know, cat calls and yeah. Yeah, there have been thing, a couple so. of different instantiations of that general idea. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, so and, and uh, I mean, these are, I, I think it'd probably be interesting and relevant. I'm sure there's um, sort of surveys, people try to research people who, like, in their actual lives have some sort of radical body change um, in some sort of manner. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know what the, what their experience is in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on a more serious note, I had a student um, a few years back that got MS, and she had taken my epistemology class, and um, she came back for a visit some years later. She goes, "I want to talk about all these things again because I now feel like I'm becoming a brain in a vat." Right? She had mm -hmm. sort of lost control over most of her body. I mean, just you know, could do the sort of very minimal grabbing things and and all that, and. Um, so yeah, the, the way her body functions started to change her relation to her body. It was no longer this instrument, but rather this thing that um, that you know was she was in, like a cocoon or something. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. So um, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, death, right? So you on your um, your page, which will, um, by the way, for our listeners, um, post that on our webpage. With a link to it because it's a fun page with all these examples um yeah and i'll just mention that i just created that just for the purposes of get just getting a discussion going um in my intro to philosophy class yeah so. I, right well we, we saw it, you posted on um maybe it's the teaching philosophy page and I, I think i recall you saying if anyone wants to use this as a resource um mm -hmm. so if, if you're comfortable with that um i know you know of course Plenty of our, our um, listeners will use this in their classes um, as a resource for their students as well. Okay, so yeah, so what, are, what about the relationship between death and personal identity? Well, um, um, uh, yeah, well, I think this, this is sort of another um, situation where this topic is uh, kind of overlaps with practical real life concerns. Um, basically, the question would be, well, when do we die, or mm -hmm. when do we end? And um, you know, usually that's sort of pretty clear cut, but it's at least not just possible, but sometimes it's not so clear cut. 
Um, so there are cases about, you know, obviously individuals um, getting uh, severe brain damage, uh, made permanently unconscious, permanent vegetative state, comas, things mm -hmm. like that. And uh, what's important here is like their body is alive, but in most cases we might want to call them brain dead. So the question then would be like, well, when did they end? Mm -hmm. You know, did they end uh, when their mind ended or did they end when their, their body ended? Mm -hmm. um, Which could be years so, later with technology, right? So right, 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 right. Yeah. So um, you know, sort of a simple example of this would be something like you know somebody walking down the street happily and they're hit by a bus, and uh, their brain is very much destroyed, but their body stays alive. Um, they're taken to the hospital and they can keep their body alive. I suppose for whatever reason they keep their body alive for 20 years and then the body dies. So when did that person end? Mm -hmm. You know, did they end when they were hit by the bus or did they end, um, you know, 20 years later? Mm -hmm. um, so uh, my reaction would be say, would be that they ended when they got hit by the bus. I mean, that was the end of them. Um, they really are not their body, strictly speaking. Um, they are their mind or their psychology. So, um, you know, your body can keep living even though your mind is gone. And your mind is sort of you. Mm -hmm. Or not sort of you. Your mind is you. Your mind At is least you. that would be my view. Yeah. Yeah, good. Um, so, and this could be supported by, you know, hopefully, you know, if you're hit by the bus and people come to see your body, even though it's still alive, uh, you would hope, you would expect that they will be sad, mm -hmm. you know, and if somebody were to say, you know, well, what are you crying about? You know, his body's still here. <laughs> right. But, that would be right, a but, very unsatisfying kind of. Right. You know, his body's here. What, what's the problem? Well, yeah, his body's here, but, but the person is gone. Mm -hmm. So um, I think you can take this, uh, situation and apply it at the, at the other end um, uh, or the beginning of life with, um, you know, people sort of more often asking, you know, when does life begin? Well, what do you mean by life? Um, with the coma case or the person being smashed by the bus, we could distinguish their life ending by saying like, well, their biological life uh, ended after that 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, their biographical life, however, ended uh, when they get hit by the bus. Um, you know, that, that the distinction is sometimes put that way, um, which hmm. I think yeah. is useful. Like biological life versus biographical life. And biographical would be like, you know, the person's story. Mm -hmm. and that would be wrapped up in, you know, what they knew, what they believed, what their personality was like, like how they interacted with other people. And those are all psychology-based um, sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Good, um, yeah. Those seem like the kinds of things we're more apt to celebrate as well, right? So right. Um, even, you know, if I find out a friend is pregnant and she's mm -hmm. got a child and its biographical life hasn't started, most of my happiness at that point is for her and the rest of the family. But at the point mm -hmm. where I'm interacting with the child, We've got a, a nephew in our family. It's just a little over a year old, right? Upon meeting it, 
we all instantly sort of felt this love for it that before was just for a happy idea or something or happy for the parents and, and some such. Good. Um, right. What about these great um, day person, night person cases that you, you mentioned on your page? Um, maybe talk about those and in some instances in, in pop culture as well. And there's one really yeah. famous one, of course, but. Um, yeah. So that case, I hadn't known about it until I read the thousand word philosophy article on that. Mm -hmm. And um, if you're listening, the story is basically um, uh, kind of a modification of the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde story. Um, and the, the modification is basically, you know, there's this man, Dr. Jekyll, during the day, who's a very nice fellow. And then, you know, at night, he goes to sleep thinking he's going to rest all night. And um, basically, like, sort of as he goes to sleep, this new fellow, Mr. Hyde, emerges, who is an evil bad guy, and spends the night doing evil things. And then in the morning, uh, uh, Mr. I can't keep him straight. Um, the bad guy goes to sleep. Yeah, yeah. And the good guy wakes up. Um, so thinking, Jekyll oh, wakes nice up. Right. right, right, right. Yeah. So uh, they're also like completely unaware of each other. And um, so clearly um, we at least have what seem to be two completely distinct personalities in the same body. And um, so the question is, should we say something a little more radical? which is, no, it's not just there's two personalities. It's that there are two people mm -hmm. in the same body. So yeah. um, to me, that makes more sense than saying something like, well, there's one individual with two personalities. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, they've got completely different characters, completely different goals. Uh, they don't know about each other. They're, they're just two two people in the same body, mm -hmm. or so it seems. Yeah, good. So, and and in the pop culture, this often gets explained away by some phenomenon, right? That um, if you were to really have such a thing, you you wouldn't be able to appeal to that. So I'm thinking like in the mask with Jim Carrey, he puts on the mask, right? And suddenly this magic happens. Mm -hmm. Or in, in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, um, you know, he's experimenting with... with um, chemistry, you know, body chemistry, biochemistry, altering um, drugs and so forth. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah. So if you were to just sort of see this without that kind of story to tell, um, it seems like the, the natural thing to say might be the thing that you're saying, which is these things are just, you know, whatever's causing it, make them just different beings altogether, especially since mm -hmm. one never remembers what the other one did and, and so forth. Mm -hmm. Right. No shared memories. Um, yeah. Okay. So you talk about split brain cases. These are, there's a variation on this theme, essentially. Um, what do you have in mind there? Is this um, the severing the corpus callosum type examples or um, parfits? Yeah, I think that's the typical thing that people worry about. Um, again, you have some individual and uh, who's sort of doing fine and their blame, their brain is split. Mm -hmm. and uh, put into two, well, we could have different versions. You know, each half of the brain is put into, um, you know, a new body. Um, and we just sort of assume that, assume for the sake of argument, that these new bodies will start up 
and, and things will work out fine with each of them having a half of a brain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so yeah, so there's this brain split and, um, you know, what has happened in such a situation? Yeah. And it's, um, you know, the, the intuition, right. Is that they, they can't be, they're not identical to one another. Right. Um, one has the property of going to the zoo on Saturday and the other has the property of staying home or some such. Um, and if they're not identical to each other, then they can't be identical to the the original person from whom they were split. Gets um, sort of very thorny. Well, yeah. Um, and the same sorts of things can happen. I mean, you get to the same sort of case. Um, even where there isn't like a split brain, but just a split or, I don't know if split is the right sort of word, but like duplicated consciousness. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, you can basically have something like the split brain case, but with a teletransporter, you know, where somebody walks into a teletransporter, their body is scanned, their information is beamed to other teletransporters and uh well in the first version you know it's just beamed to one teletransporter and their body is like rebuilt their brain is rebuilt and they sort of turn back on and they remember you know what they were doing five minutes ago um before they stepped in the teletransporter Mm -hmm. so the interesting thing though or not the interesting thing the more interesting thing is that if there's these sorts of splits where um you know say the person goes into the teletransporter and their information is beamed to two different places you know so i walked into the teletransporter on earth um i'm scanned my body's destroyed and that information is beamed to you know the moon and mars and so on moon on the moon and mars there's somebody walking out of the teletransporter um and they're both thinking about what happened five minutes ago um and then they go on their merry way um so clearly the the the, you know the person on the moon and the person on mars are not the same person Mm -hmm. you know you can't have the same person uh you can't you know just because you can't have the same physical thing or same thing in two different places like that so clearly they're not the same person they're not identical but um that basically means that they're not identical to the individual who walked in the teletransporter in the first place um so what's going on well we have these two individuals who are psychologically continuous with that earlier person but really kind of for mathematical reasons they're not the same individual Mm -hmm. because if they're not identical to each other um that means that neither of them can be identical to the 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 first person and so um yeah so there can't be like an identity relation when you have this sort of split so um Derek Parfit proposed that well that means that like really um literal personal identity doesn't matter what matters is what he called survival Mm -hmm. which is being psychologically connected to um your sort of 
future self or sort of future selves. Yeah, which is interesting because uh, you can survive in one sense and still die in a sense, right? You've got this psychological continuity. Uh, but the person that goes in the teletransporter, if he's not either of the other persons, sort of in, in an important sense, no longer exists. And yet somehow manages to survive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I think for these, um, like what you want to do is kind of look uh, look at the situation from the perspectives of the individuals coming out of the teletransporters mm -hmm. on the moon and Mars. Like when, when they walk out, um, you know, they're going to be like nearly qualitatively identical mm -hmm. because their past <clears throat> is like completely the same. Mm -hmm. But uh, when they walk out somewhere new, um, things are going to start changing for them. You know, obviously the one who walks out on the moon is going to be seeing different things from the one who walks out on Mars. And the sort of more they go on their merry way, the more they are going to change um, and be quantitatively different from each other. Mm -hmm. Yet both of them, if they think about their past, they're going to be thinking about much of the sort of same thing. Mm -hmm. They'll remember yeah, the same it's... same events, the same birthday party when they were five and, right, and right, so right. on. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if they walk in the teletransporter or if if the one individual walks in the teletransporter when she's 35 and then five years later, there's these two individuals, you know, what they think about their last five years is going to be different. Mm -hmm. But as you put it, you know, oh, I remember my 29th birthday. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're going to be thinking about the same thing. Very end. Nice. Well, these these are really fun cases. Um before we let you go, um, you mentioned a thousand word philosophy and um, it'd be great if you could talk about that um, just a little, tell people what it is and, and where to find it. Um, I'm now using articles from a thousand word philosophy in all my classes. Uh, my students okay. love them. It's great. I mean, it's the thumbnail sketch that that every student wants of, you know, mm -hmm. uh, just a ton of different topics. So this is this is your creation, right? It is not my creation. Not um, yours. Andrew Chap no, not mine. Okay. Um, and Andrew Chapman, um, who's a uh, philosopher at the University of Colorado at Boulder, he started this about, I guess, about six or seven years ago. Um, and he built it up to about 50 essays. And um, then about two years ago, uh, no, I'm like, three years ago or so, um, I got involved with it because I really liked it and um, kind of took over the job of kind of building it up more. Mm -hmm. So now we have, I think, probably somewhere around 110 um, essays or so. And um, yeah, so it's at a thousandwordphilosophy.com. Um, it's called A Thousand Word Philosophy, an Introductory Anthology. And uh, it is what it sounds like which is um, basically thousand word uh, or around a thousand word, not over a thousand words, but around a thousand word um, introductory articles on uh, all sorts of areas and topics in philosophy. 
Yeah, and you've you've got a nice web page that sort of breaks them out by category and by title and all that. It's um, sort of very right. easy to navigate and find exactly what you're looking for. So, um, and then we'll also. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Nathan. I just want to say, yeah, we try to keep things simple, straightforward. Um, one thing about the essays is they're not argumentative essays. Um, so uh, they, they're basically sort of non-argumentative introductions, sort of designed to give like a, an overview. Mm -hmm. um, not really, you know, so, so they're, good to, they're good to get things started with um, and sort of raise issues. Um, not usually really resolve issues or solve issues, but uh, to get to get things started. Great. And do you have anything else you'd like to promote? Um, we're going to promote your web page, and we'll put the link to the um, the um, personal identity cases that we've been discussing up. But um, what you got in the hopper? Um, do I have anything else to promote? Um, I, I do have an introductory book on abortion Great. Um, that's free. It's an open access book on abortion. Um, and there is some overlap with these issues um, about personal identity and abortion. So, uh, I mean, in particular, uh, what I mentioned earlier about this sort of biological life versus biographical life, um, I think that is important and useful because um, a lot of people think um, abortion is very simple. Uh, you know, fetuses are alive, they're human life, and that's it. That just means abortion, abortion is wrong. Well, um, it is uh, important to think about, well, what, what exactly, I mean, obviously, fetuses are bi biologically alive. Um, uh, you know, they, they have to be biologically alive if they're going to be killed in abortion. So, so clearly they're biologically alive, but, you know, obviously just because something's biologically alive doesn't make it wrong to kill it. Uh, there has to be more to it than that. And, um, yeah, so I, I think there's uh, some nuance needed in thinking about, like, well, what kind of life matters for it being wrong to kill something? Um, and, I, and I think leading into that sort of bi biological versus biographical life um, can be important for that. Great. Well, wonderful. Thank you very much for um, talking to us. And um, sure. thank you for having me. We appreciate it. Take care. Okay, Rach, what are we liking this week? Well, we've seen a few things. Uh, we saw the babysitter killer queen, just for a bit of mindless entertainment, right. which kind of had a, a drag me to hell vibe. Like it, it's campy, cheesy horror. Mm -hmm. It's a, the sequel to the babysitter. Yeah, and a little bit um, Scott Pilgrim versus the world, right? With just some of the goofy effects and all that. Um, yeah, loads of fun. Um, it's befitting the original as a sequel mm -hmm. because the original is kind of a lot like it. Mm -hmm. um, horrible, horrible reviews. and um, Horror movies never get good reviews, or yeah. very rarely. Yeah, this is particularly bad, but I'm just going to say shame on anyone who can't enjoy themselves. Because I mean, <laughs> um, this, this really was pretty good. Was, you know, pretty fun. Fun, fun yeah. cast and yeah. lively and all that. Yeah. 
Yeah, good. All right. Um, what else? What else are we like? We've been watching. Now this is the throwback. Uh, at this point, I think like 19 years old. Um, but we've been watching Ken Burns, the Ken Burns documentary Jazz, mm-hmm. which I've just been loving. I've been, I've Same. been, I've been recently trying to get a better understanding of Black history, Black thought. You know that kind of thing. That's one thing that this this recent Black Lives Matter. Um, movement has really inspired in me is like, I got you know, I need to know more about this stuff. And um, uh, jazz is great for that. I mean, mm-hmm. the documentary and the music, but, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, you really, it's, it's, it really is a good insight into history um, across a wide range of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I saw it when it first came out and loved it. And um, yeah, I'm a big jazz fan. fan so, um, you know, I had internalized a fair amount of it, um, but really, and no pun intended, just sort of the high notes, right? So I remember <laughs> what they were saying about Duke Ellington and Louis mm-hmm. Armstrong and, and so forth. Um, but then there's all these other figures, right? And I'd kind of forgotten. So it was, for me, you know, it's almost like watching a documentary for the first time, um, you know, making more connections between artists I like and so forth. Um, and then um, finally, um, The Vow, right? Um, yeah, we've been talking about this one. And... Yeah, yeah, it's still really good. It's a great series. Um, what we're missing right now is is last week tonight with John Oliver, which I think is coming back next week. But He's it's... always doing this to us. Yeah, I know. Coming and... back for a couple of weeks and then, wait, where'd he go? Especially when we need him. Right? <laughs> Things are, are crazy and the, the news is horrific. Um, and again, I mentioned this last time. Um, watching sports again still seems really weird and it looks weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm happy to have the distraction. Okay, Rach, that's a wrap. Another episode is in the can, and once again, everything has come up Charbonneau. Please visit our webpage, that's I think ifan.com, all one word, to find out about upcoming episodes. If you would like to support I Think Therefore I Fan, please go to the webpage, Click on the link at the top of the page that says Donate and follow the instructions. As always, your support is greatly appreciated. Finally, if you enjoy this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating. It helps. See you next time.